Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 10 This One is Precious The entirety of that morning and away into the afternoon, Jan saw no more of Dane. Her mind had little distraction to keep her from thinking on this, but after the first pang of worry, what if he is not coming back? She discarded this with a knowing motion. Her thumbs told her otherwise, He was not the sort to abandon. But after another hour or thereabouts, this turned into a different worry. If he would not abandon, and it grew later, and the world held many dangers. Lara's mute dreaming did not aid Jan in her anxious waiting. She needed speech. She shifted in her seat, rose, walked in and out, sat again, broke into nervous laughter, then silence. Soon she addressed the fire pit for lack of colloquy. I wasn't built for all this quiet, she said. I know, another weakness. She sighed, plucking at the edges of her dry shirtwaist. You could at least introduce an interesting subject. Silence again. The rain without the cave drummed, unrelenting, and she gave the fire pit a firm stare, Ash doesn't count. She spent the next length of time taking stock of the state of their belongings. Their clothing and bedrolls had dried well since she had stoked and folded the fire to a steady blaze all that day, adding the occasional extra fuel from Dane's stores. They had lost a portion of dried meat, or at least they would need to eat it soon, She set it aside with the oat grains that had also been waterlogged. A spiced meat dish might be made of all that for the coming dinner. Except her small spice packets had not all survived the deluge. She looked sadly at the bundles huddling along a flat stone by the fire. Unwrapping a packet of almonds, suspiciously soft, She began setting them out individually among the spice packets, hoping to dry them back to a preservable state. Their cashews had already slimed. She tossed them into the fire for the smell. A sigh, a glance to the cave's mouth, a shake of her shoulders, and Jan reached for the two pairs of shoes she'd dried also. They were sturdily made, but their leather needed another oiling if it were to keep any more water out. She dug in her pack for her kit, drew out a small round tin of shoe oil, unscrewed it, and began rubbing. As she worked, she let her hearts unfurl, springing and curving around her neatly seated form, dimly throbbing with her worry. 
She murmured things to the goddess, until she finished the shoes, set them down, and lay back among her hearts to talk to her. The fire hissed at a smattering of drops from the air hole. Lara turned in her sleep, breathing in a tight way. Jan, too, had fallen asleep, but she held peace in her hands. She did not wake until Dane returned, silent but favoring his right leg. You're all right, she said, glad. Yes, he said with a private smile. I've found your greens. He unlaced a pouch from the loops of his belt and handed it to her. Jan took it and thanked him, then went to retrieve her battered pot from just outside the entrance where she'd set it to catch water to boil. Dane reached for her, said, Here, and handed her another pot, his own, she supposed, saying, For dinner. She nodded and switched the pots. She picked over the fine, stiff leaves of thervine, noting that Dane had cut them in the careful, vertical motion that held the sap in the stems for up to two hours after cutting. Emma had taught her that cut long ago, together with her brother, but she had thought it a technique peculiar to her mother. How? She glanced, troubled, at Dane, who was moving toward the fire. Then she turned back to the long, thin, knobbly roots of older weed he'd collected, wiping them all on the softer cloth of her leggings, and sat to begin the poultice. Dane had squatted awkwardly to the far side of the fire pit, his right leg slightly to the fore. He had rolled back the fabric to his knee, bending over a stained calf. You've been hurt? Jan said. Yes, he said. What happened? He had begun cleaning his wound, dabbing until the bloodlines receded to reveal a still-bleeding puncture some inches below the knee. A tusked animal breeds in these parts, like a boar but sleeker, more agile. I startled it. Jan felt an unsteadiness at the heart quite unfamiliar to her. She said, her eyes on the mixture she'd made, You've salve for it? Dane nodded. She took one of the fabric strips she'd ripped from her damp shirtwaist and offered it to him. Please bind it. My hands to the goddess for you, she said with warmth. He looked at her offering and said, surprised, Thank you. The sleeting rain had turned to a thick, heavy flaked snow, and with the solemn hush Jan found calm return, an upsurge of her accustomed humor and energy. She started little hums while making the tinctures for Lara to breathe in, while changing the bindings over her chest, while preparing some of their food. She poked ahead out the entrance and noted how much snowfall had gathered, by pushing a finger into a drift up to the third knuckle. Plenty of water, then, she muttered, and filled a pot. 
Dane came in with a fresh armload of wood, standing some pieces by the fire to dry, others against the cave wall. They had enough. He'd been gathering before the rains began. He rooted in an oiled cloth wrapped with a cured leather thong and came up with two blunt, thick candles. If I may, he said, and lit them by the fire where Jan was kneeling. Then he disappeared. They'll snuff in that snow, Jan thought, curious. She followed him. Just outside, Dane had mounded two starred cones of snow, apparently by layering roughly formed spheres of snow upon each other. He set the second candle, lit, inside the right-hand cone, and Jan breathed in happiness. The snow caught and softened the candlelight, glowing, touching Dane's dark face. She gazed at the radiant mounds for several moments longer, then asked, What are they for? He watched the play of light within the luminous caverns. For beauty, he said. He let some silence come and settle, before turning to her and making as though to speak. He paused, and then, with a slight nod, he went back inside and left her beside the glowing snow and the cold in its blues and blacks. Jan retrieved the candles and came in once she felt hunger stir. Dane had built up the fire and begun a simple meal, and Lara lay still in her blanket, her eyelids moving like hummingbirds even as they were shut. As Jan shook the snow from her boot soles, Dane turned to her and said, I would count it an honor if you told me something of yourself and your friend. Are you hungry? Come, sit with me. He made a gesture of welcome that had an odd, heartbreaking loveliness. A grown son bringing flowers to his mother's sickbed. The assurance, this one is precious, came again. And Jan fought a quick urge to weep or laugh. She took the food he gave her and sat beside him. He turned an attentive face to her, and she found it suddenly important that she tell the story of herself well. She knew confidence, and she knew her home and the goddess, but good like. This man's eyes could pierce. She remembered with a rush of shyness, how they had met, and said, you, You've already seen my hearts? Yes, I have seen your hearts, Dane said with gentleness. Please forgive it. I know it was only for her that you opened. 
He paused. Your hearts are safe from me. Please do not mind it. She was flushed as though with shame, but she did not feel ashamed. Tell me, will you tell me of yourself? You speak the goddess language. Are you of the marked ones? He smiled over his bowl. It is most fair, yes. I will try. I am a runner for the goddess, a bond-servant, he said slowly. She has made me the messenger of many hearts, and I do not remain anywhere long. I have no family, and return to her temple once in the spring for the days of the feast. That, I suppose, is my home, if I have one. She has taught me to travel with slight things, and with my hands open. And your feet shall spurn the earth, my little ones, and with light shoulders shall you run. In your seasons you shall turn your mouths to me for my provision. Surely your hearts shall see it come. But what you have you cannot hold, for you are my open-handed ones, and I will be your home. Jan quoted softly. She had learnt this one of the spells, very young, and always it had pulled at her in a way she could not explain. Dane looked at her, something unreadable in his eyes. Yes, my home, he said finally. You are runner to these parts, Jan said. Often. I go to a family of the Mahoganies before the spring. But you open your hand to us. He set his fist against his chest. Gladly so. Are you a runner of the marked ones? You must be, if you return to the temple for the feast seasons. I am. What of your family? She said. I am the only son of my parents. They went to the goddess very early, and I was brought to the temple to learn the ways of the runners. I met my heart-seed death there, when I had grown older in the temple service. It was long. I had much anger because of my parents. He said this seriously, without reluctance, and Jan understood the offering of it as a courtesy to match the vulnerable image of her heart's. You must have been young, she said. I was not more than eleven winters, he said. Did you feel you were alone? Jan had spoken before she thought, spoken out of some quick intuition, perhaps, and felt a desire to take back her words at the startled look on Dane's face. Such a question went deeper than it was hers to go. She had put out gentle fingers to touch in sympathy, but she caught the gesture and returned her hand to her lap. He set his spoon down in the bowl and rested it on his knee, thinking. Jan watched the mottled brown of his arms as he tilted the bowl back and forth absently. When he looked up at her again, 
the startling had gone. His eyes held clarity. At times I felt that, he said. It is expected that the runners will often feel loneliness. Many winters must pass before we learn to make a home in the goddess. Jan almost asked, And have you? But she felt she had taken a liberty already. She nodded instead and looked at Lara, whose shoulders rose against the fabric of her blanket with the rhythm of her sleeping breath. What was she dreaming? She will need a new tincture soon, Dane said, following Jan's gaze. I can assemble the ingredients if you would like. Thank you. Let me have the supper things. Here. She held out her hands for his bowl and spoon, and he handed them to her, smiling. A bright smile, surprising in a face so dark. She took the pot with her outside, a rough block of homemade soap tucked into her pocket to put the snow to good use. When she came back in, Dane was stripping the thervine leaves of their veining, flicking back the root catch with a technique again she thought only her mother had known. She remembered the cut he had used when harvesting the greens, and her curiosity returned to her. Where did you learn this? Dane held up the stripped leaves. It is a trick for tinctures I learnt from a friend. His mother had taught him methods of increasing the efficacy of such things, and we often had need of thervine leaves on our travels. We came through very damp country. His mother taught him? Yes. His name was Dyeron. I travelled many weeks with him, though at... What is it? Dane broke off and looked at Jan, who had gone stiff, but for a trembling in her wrists and fingertips. Are you well? Who was his mother? Jan said. Her voice stumbled. Dane had half risen at her change, thinking to help, thinking she had pain or had become ill. His mother is Anna the Turner. She lives in a city not far southwest of here, one of the lifted cities. When did you part with him? Jan cried, and now her body was shivering with strong feeling, leaning forward, reaching for Dane's arm as though to pull from him the information she wanted. It was close on a fortnight ago, he said, worried, offering his arm for lack of anything better. Jan, what is it? Do you know, Dairon? She nodded, and noticed with disappointment that she had started crying in bursts of breath and tears. Not usually me, she gasped, waving a hand at her face to indicate the bluster of tempest issuing thence. Dairon, he's my brother. She held up a palm to him. Wait. She shook her whole body angrily, and then her head once more, to clear the tears. She tried a long, calming breath that shuddered but settled toward the end, and she set her hands, palms together, firmly in her lap. I'll, I'll explain, she said, more measuredly. Apologies. Dane inclined his head, still bearing a look of worry and gravity as he beheld her. 
Tyron is older. Four winters from me. She pressed her sleeve to her cheeks and her eyes, breathing out again with more steadiness. He left when I had reached my ninth winter, and we didn't know. These eight winters we've heard nothing. He never sent a word, a note. Ada and Aima, they... In the times we all talked to the goddess together, they asked her to tell us they cried with us before the goddess. She told us Diaran had become a wanderer. Like the first rebels in the goddess's stories, the ones who carry her writing on their brows. Dane nodded. He knew this part of the stories. It was not part of the spells. The stories and writings the marked ones had copied again and again. Many of the goddess's stories had never been written down, but instead were recited from parent to child to explain the spells, what they meant, what must be done. The wanderers, like the runners, had no home. But they had no home because great anger or great hatred tore their hearts from rootedness and would not let them rest. Some stories called them the rebels. Some of these folk found the Lamia and learned how to gut, so that they might never approach the goddess again. The wanderers were hard to understand. They did not bond together, nor did they always wander in reality. Many lived in houses, had families, but nothing grew with them, and their burden showed in their limbs. They could hurt. I wanted to find him, Jan said, speaking to her hands. I loved him hugely. I tried to find him once at eleven, rode out on Pollock's, our, our ox, but he circled the city and then bumped me off into the wheat sheaves and the open granaries. In a way, she said, and gave a single soft laugh, he's why I'm here. Some while back, spring it was, the gob began telling me to ready myself for a journey, that in my seventeenth winter he would send me out somewhere. We didn't know that bit, nor really why, but of course we thought it must be to find Iron, to win him back. What else? Dane made a low noise, anticipating the heartache she was about to speak of. Lara came. Jan laughed once, shortly, looking down at the ground. It was Lara, a stranger. He wanted me to journey with her to her heart's death. She turned to look at Lara, asleep still. I thought... And for a long, long time, neither of them spoke a word. The sounds of the winter night, removed, muffled almost, 
were made apparent as they had not been. The snap and shuffle of their fire, a susurration as Lara turned in her sleep. Branches moaned high outside with wind from the storm. I thought surely it would be tiring. When Jan spoke this time, she made no bodily attempt to veil the weeping in her voice. She might have been alone for the unselfconscious way her shoulders had released. Her face sloped in grief. And I was sent instead with a strange, angry girl on a journey whose end I cannot see. Yet, Dane said, firm, with heart in him, she did not let Diaran wander alone. She has not ceased to fight for him. I have been Diaran's companion, and I swear to you, still the goddess chases him. All will be done for your brother, even if not by your hands. Jan covered her face, forehead to knees. Diaran is more deeply the goddess's than yours. You know well the strength of her love. It is stronger even than your own. She will pour it all for the winning of your brother's hearts. She let fall her hands took one of Dane's, and held the burnished knuckles of it to her lips, silent. She did not speak her gratitude, but Dane understood it, nevertheless. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay ben Avraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon. We make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on apple podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it thank you so much <laughs>